Please open up your Bibles with me to John chapter 8. We'll be in verses 30 through the end of the chapter. If you don't have a Bible, there should be one in the seat back in front of you or somewhere nearby. How's everybody's Christmas? Heard a couple of you got some coal. Talk to me afterwards, please. I'm just kidding. I got a cold. Close to coal. John chapter 8, starting in verse 30, verses 30 and 31, it says, As he was saying these things, many believed in him. And so Jesus said to the Jews who believed in him, If... You abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. How many of you have heard that verse before? Uh, In this context? (laughs) Yeah. So usually some kind of like, hey, the truth's going to set you free. It's like, yeah, well, what is the truth? That's a very important question. And also, we left off last week with Jesus dialoguing in the temple courts, and as he's dialoguing, it says, uh, everybody's kind of in there at the Feast of Booths, which is this big celebration that happens once a year. And Jesus is reasoning with the Jews. In verse 30, says that many believed in him. Many believed him. Now, you might first of all think, yay, hey, man, they got saved. Awesome. Hallelujah, right? But that isn't the case because Jesus goes on dialoguing with them. And if you just look down in your Bibles... To verse 44, what does it say? It's not up there. It's in your Bibles. Verse 44 says what? Your father is what? The devil. And then if you go down to the last verse, verse 59 or 58, somewhere there, it says that they picked up what? Stones to stone Jesus. So we've got a problem with this set of believers. This is who Jesus is speaking with. And so the statement in verse 31 is really, really crucial for all of us who are trying to understand, first of all, what John is saying, but secondly, what does it mean to be a true disciple? Jesus said, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciple, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And so Jesus makes it clear to them that there are true disciples and false disciples, there was a group of people gathered together and they heard Jesus' teachings and they said, man, I believe that guy. I believe that guy. And modern evangelical Christianity would say, hey, they're saved. Good, glad you prayed the prayer. Here's your card, have a nice day. But Jesus has a different understanding of what it means to be saved. He says, listen, I'm not into uh, people just praying a prayer and walking away. I'm not into uh, Sunday Christianity and all this stuff. Listen, I'm into making disciples. I'm into absolutely radically changing your life. You die and I resurrect you where you stand and you follow me. My word abides in you and that is how it is until we meet face to face. Isn't that, that's radical, radically different. That's how Jesus describes a disciple. And the fruit of that, we'll talk about a little bit later, some it's less than others. But nevertheless, it's this abiding relationship with Jesus Christ, with the living word and with the written word, who, uh, you know, from from the heart of God onto the paper, which obviously testifies of him. 
But there are true disciples and there are false disciples. There are those who claim to be Christians and those who are truly are Christians. And so how do you know if you are a true or false disciple? And Jesus says it very clearly there in a verse that true disciples abide in his word and it sets them free. Isn't that awesome? He makes it really clear. You abide in his word and it sets you free. Simply put, true disciples are transformed by the word of God. That's what happens. How does that work? How does that work? Well, the word which Jesus equates here with truth, does he not? He says, you abide in my word and the truth will set you free. His word is truth. And so Jesus says, the word, which is truth, as the true disciple of Jesus feasts on the truth, as they ingest the truth, that truth, over time, it transforms their thinking. It transforms the way they think about God, about they think about the world. It changes their thinking. And then that knowledge rooted in Jesus Christ sets a disciple free. Anyone who's been born again came face to face with Jesus Christ challenging the way, that the, the things they believe. And that belief about yourself had to change. And it came because the truth entered your life. Amen? It invaded your lie. It invaded your sin. It invaded your darkness. And that truth, when you let it take hold within your heart, it grew and it set you free. And that's not separate from Jesus. It is His Word. It's His spoken Word, His life. And so, Jesus clearly says there that a true disciple abides in His Word and that Word sets them free. And that's the first thing that the Word of God does. It shows you that you are in bondage. It sets you free. You might not have known it, but as you look into the perfect Word of God, as you hear the Gospel, as you look at Jesus Christ, as you see who He is, and you see the light of His freedom and His glory and His holiness and His purity, boy, you see yourself in that reflection and you realize, I am not free. That's freedom. That's light. I live in darkness. And the thing is, we have got a bunch of people living in darkness that think we're all free. But we're all in bondage. And Jesus invaded the world, the light of the world, and he showed us we were in bondage. Not just to show us we were in bondage. Not to, con to, to give us condemnation on us because we were already condemned. But to save us, to set us free. And he does that by the proclamation of the gospel, his word. That you would be free from the bondage of sin and death and translated over into his kingdom of light by grace through faith. And so you might not have known it, but you and I and every single person who enters this world is, is in that state of slavery. And this is a reality that these Jews who said they believed in Jesus did not realize they were in. They were superficial believers in Jesus Christ. Look, verse 33, what does it say? They answered him. After Jesus said, hey, you believe in me and, and, and you let my word abide in you and it will set you free. You're going to be truly my disciples. You want to be my disciple? Follow me. Let my word abide in you and it will set you free. And they answered him, we are the offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone. 
How is it that you say you will become free? Now, so, if, if you see the pattern here in John, remember Nicodemus? Remember the woman at the well? Remember the uh, people wanting more bread from Jesus? They all thought on the physical plane. It, so, just like Nicodemus who thought that when Jesus said you must be born again, he was thinking, that's weird, Jesus. How can you be born twice? Like, what is that? And the woman at the well says, I want this water. I want this living water. Can you give me the bottle of water? Jesus wasn't talking about a bottle of water. He wasn't talking about being born physically again. When they came to him, said, Jesus said, hey, in order for you to have life, you need to eat my flesh and drink my blood. They just went gross. And they, in many, verse John six sixty six, they all walked away from him, right? But Jesus wasn't talking about the physical. He's saying there was something spiritual that needed to happen. And so, like Nicodemus, like the woman at the well, like the people who desired more bread, we see that Jesus isn't talking about physical slavery that they needed to be redeemed from. And we know in our history that we've had slavery and we, there's the whole, uh, you know, there's, what is it called, Gary, the kind of gospel about, you know, that kind of links into slavery. Yeah, the social gospel, which is not the gospel. So Jesus isn't talking about freeing you from your physical slavery. Be careful when you're watching TV or whatever it is and they link Jesus with you being freed from your physical slavery. That's not the freedom that Jesus is bringing. That's not what he came here to do. No, Jesus, verse 34 says, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a what? Slave to what? Slave to sin. What kind of slavery did Jesus come to set people free from? The slavery of, of sin. The slavery of sin. And here's the thing. These people didn't know they were slaves to sin. And so the word lets us know that we are slaves to sin. This is what Jesus, the incarnate word, is letting us know. Verse 34, Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. That's why Jesus said, if you abide in my word, you will truly be my disciples and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. A lot of emphasis on truth and freedom there, right? So Jesus came to set us free and as we feast upon his word, as we love the Son of God, as we obey the Son of God, through his revealed written world, uh, will and word, we are no longer conformed to this world, but we become transformed by the renewing of our minds. God changes the way we think. And so instead of becoming uh, right-wing Christians, we become kingdom Christians. We don't look at the kingdom in, in the eyes of the Constitution anymore. Is it valuable? Of course, but there's a higher set. We're of a different kingdom, a different planet, a different world. Those are the, the, that's the highest law we have, the law of love. And so do I open carry in Walmart because it's my second amendment right? No. Why? Because that's not love. Is it? Because you're scared a lot of people. How's that going to bring people to Jesus? All these things I start asking, my mind, and you go, okay, I know a lot of you. I just like separated half the group here. Great. <laughs> I was going to pick on the other half, but you know. But you know what I'm talking about, right? Those things that we hold on to, it's like, wait a second, we're part of a, a different kingdom. 
And as we start hearing about the kingdom and the way he thinks about the issue, what does Jesus think about abortion? I don't care about your rights. I care about what he thinks. And I follow him. Amen? You see how that works? What does Jesus think about guns? What does Jesus think about war? What does Jesus think about revolution? What does Jesus think about all these things? And you find that it's like he's on a totally different political plane than this, and it's not about politics. It's about his kingdom. And that is why he didn't overthrow the Roman government, because he was about a different kingdom. He was going to reach into the hearts of men and change them and, and let them live as a citizen of his kingdom in this one. And that's why when you read in the New Testament of things like slavery and you read all these types of things of submitting to one another all this stuff in in difficult circumstances, it's not about our rights and what we can do, but it's about His glory. It's about in those circumstances how I can live as a child of God to witness in a difficult circumstance to those people around who might be oppressing me or in a position of leadership where I have the chance to oppress, to bless instead. Amen? It's different. It's totally different. Everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. And we don't even know it, but God has come to set us free from the slavery of sin, the ways of the world, the ways of our flesh. In verse 35, the slave does not remain in the house forever. Jesus elaborates, gives clarity, but the son remains forever. So if the Son sets you free, what? You're going to be free indeed. We love that verse too, right? Another one from John we all know. I love it. But here's the context. Slavery to sin. Sets you free from what? If the Son sets you free from sin. You see, slaves back in the day, good, bad, and indifferent, there was some people were begging to be slaves because if you didn't work at someone's house, you didn't eat and you didn't live. Okay, so there's, there was a different world, a different time. Some people were conquered and had to be in slavery. So whatever was going on, it was part of the world system. And so quite often, Jesus relates to something that everybody understood. And for us, it would be employment. But for this, it was a slave. A slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. Who has the rights in the house? The slave or the son? The son has the rights, correct? The the slave doesn't remain in there forever. So if the son sets you free, if the one who has the authority in the house says to the slave, you are free, guess what happens to the, the slave? They are free indeed. Jesus was saying to these people who called themselves believers, you're slaves to sin. Be careful, superficial believers. You're slaves to sin. And, and I look at this. And Jesus, as the Son of God, came to set you free. He came to set them free from their bondage of sin if they trust in His promise, in His provision, in His Word. And so Jesus is letting these superficial believers know that they are actually slaves of sin. And and he has the authority to free them as God's son. But they were unwilling to believe. Instead, they trusted in their physical lineage. Now, this is the thing. Verse 37, I know that you are the offspring of Abraham. That's what they claimed. Like, hey, we're, we're sons of Abraham. 
Yet you what? You seek to kill me because my word finds no place in you. What's he saying there? Even in their claim of being Abraham's descendants, their actions didn't reflect it. And that's what Jesus is getting at here. They want to kill the Son of God. That, that shouldn't be from a son of Abraham. And Jesus tells us why. He says, because my word finds no what? It finds no place in you. My word finds no place in you. That's a very important thing. Ask yourself right now, does God's word find a place in my heart? Yep, there he goes. Remember, I was, did you hear me blow on my microphone? I looked down and there's a big old bug with these chairs. It was like, so I was all, I was even thinking, so that's my buddy. So Jesus said to them, if you abide in my word and you are truly my disciples, but their word, but his word found no place in them. So is it possible to say that you're a believer in Jesus and yet not be saved? What's the answer? to be even called a believer. You know, at the end of the age, this is the thing, Matthew 24 or so, the angels are going to come and separate the wheat from the chaff, or wheat from the weeds, basically. At the end of the age, it's, and Jesus does the parable that, that believers won't even know the difference, that the angels will have to separate the true believers and the false believers at the end. Isn't that crazy? But Jesus gives us clear things here so we can know whether or not we are exam- we've examined ourselves and to see if we're in the faith or whether it's a superficial Christianity. And so, is it possible to be a believer in Jesus and yet not to be saved? Yes, in this sense, because Jesus says there's true disciples and there's false disciples. True disciples abide in his word and false disciples have no place for the word of God in their life. I think it's important to know because we might be fooled into thinking that because someone prayed a prayer long ago that you're good to go. That's not what Jesus says. Pray the prayer and you're good to go. How many times do you see in in scriptures the disciples leading people in a prayer and saying, great, good job, you're you're in the kingdom? What do they say? Repent and believe and follow. And belief isn't just a one-time belief. It is a continual belief. Isn't, I know this is hard, but that's exactly what it says. Yes, we're saved upon initial belief, but that belief doesn't stop if it's true saving faith. It is continual. Not only does he save you, he sanctifies you. That faith continues because if God's spirit was in you and it is, inter- is eternal, it does not stop from the moment of salvation to sanctification to ultimately glorification. It does not end. It grows to where we're more, we're more like Christ. Does that mean we don't struggle in our faith? Of course. Does that mean we don't take hard nosedives? I've taken a lot of them. But it continues. We continue to abide. He picks us up. But then again, what does he tell us to do? Abide. And so who's doing the saving? Obviously he is, but is there a responsibility for you and me? Absolutely. There's a response to that great love and grace we've been given. So Jesus defines a disciple, someone who abides in Christ, and his word transforms them. 
And that abiding doesn't stop. It produces spiritual fruit to God's glory. Let me explain a little further. Just to flip over to Matthew 13. Everybody got your Bible? Flip over to Matthew 13. I'll kind of glance over the first part of it because you guys are familiar with the parable of the Sorek, right? So there's a parable that Jesus gives to everybody who's listening about this. Jesus is talking about hearts, and he says that there's different ty- There's a farmer who goes out, and there's different types of ground. That He takes the seed, and he casts it, and it lands on different types of ground. One's like a path, one's a stony ground, one has thorns in it, and one is good ground. And, and we see that, and he goes through the, the whole parable there, and he explains it. That the, you know, the hard path is where the buried, birds carried away. The rocky ground is where the seeds can't take root. The sun comes and the, and, the, and the plant that tries to grow can't and it dies. And the third one is, is it comes up in, in, in this briar patch and, the, and it, the, light, the lack of light and the lack of, I don't know, it gets choked out, right? There's no life in it. But the, third one, uh, the last one is, is it lands on great ground and there's a harvest that's produced and different multipliers of that. And so Jesus explains the meaning of it in verses 18 through 23. So read along with me in your head. It says, Hear then a parable of the sower. When anyone hears the words of the kingdom of God and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. That's what's sown along the path. Verse 20. And as for what was sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately what? Receives it with joy. They believe. Verse 21, yet has no what? Root in himself, but endures for a, for a while. And then what causes the lack of growth? When tribulation or persecution arise on account of the word, immediately he what? He falls away. Verse 22, as for what is sown among the thorns, this is the one who hears the word cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word and it produces unfruitful. What's the last one? And as for what is sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word, understands it, and he indeed bears fruit and yields. In one case, a hundredfold, in another case, 60, another 30. It's not all going to be the same, but there's, when the abiding happens in a true believer's heart, see, the first three are not true disciples. They're superficial believers. But the last one, the word goes in the heart, they receive it, they hear, and they do. And when they do, it produces the righteous acts that God is desiring to have happen that spring from the heart, you see? And what happens? By the way, this isn't just righteous actions. This is righteous attitudes. We've got to be careful about that, right? It's, it's attitudes in your heart. Worship flows out. Love, joy, peace, patience, gentleness, kindness, self-control. The fruit of the Spirit starts coming out of your life as you are connected to the vine, Jesus. So if you just flip over to John 15, back to John 15, right? Well, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, so right. The super belief Uh, The superficial believer is prevalent in Scripture. Jesus is warning against it over and over. So what kind of soil do you have of your heart? Is there a place in your heart for what God says? Are you one who takes in the Word of God and hears what He has to say and, and your life is transformed by it? 
Or are you one that when persecution comes, you're like, later God, or when the cares of the world have choked it out? And this isn't to say to discourage you. I just want you to know where you are by the Spirit of God if He reveals it so that you come to Jesus and say, Lord Jesus, I can't fix this. But Lord, make my heart good ground. Have mercy on me. Let your word abide deeply, and he can do what you cannot. But look at John 15, 1 through 8. He's speaking with his disciples right before he's about to die. Another verse, very powerful. Jesus says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that what? Does not bear fruit, he takes away. I get, that always confused me. What is that? How can you be in it? Are you losing your salvation? I think it's you're a superficial believer. You say you're in Him and you get cut out because you're not bearing fruit. You're not one who takes root and abides. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, He takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, guess what happens? He prunes it that it may bear more fruit. For you already are clean because the word I've spoken to you, you're born again. Abide in me, verse 4, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. This is why Jesus is saying, does my word have a place in you? And we always kind of try to separate the word from Jesus. It's what he says. It's him. It's like the very expression of his being. And so, abide in me and I in you as the branch cannot bear fruit itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, it is he that has, bears much fruit. And then he says it again, for apart from me, you can do what? Nothing. Verse six, if anyone does not abide in me, he is what? Thrown away like a branch and it withers and the branches are gathered and thrown into the fire and are burned. That is what happens to those who do not have an abiding relationship with Jesus Christ. They are cast into hell. And that's what Jesus is saying to his disciples, abide in me. So what does he say there in verse 7? If you abide in me and my what? My words, my commands, they abide in you, then what's going to happen in your life? You're going to be a man or a woman of what? Asking. Prayer. You see? As the Word of God abides in your heart, you're going to know God's will, and you're going to start to ask. And guess what God's going to start to do? Answer. Why is He going to answer? Keep reading. And whatever you wish, it will be done for you. Why? By this, my Father is what? It's all about the glory of God. You exist to glorify God, and your prayers exist to glorify Him, to answer His will as His Word abides in your heart. And look what happens. And what happens is the proof that you're His disciples when God answers your prayer according to His will. Isn't that awesome? You want to have an awesome prayer life? You want to see God move and do things? Find out what He wants and start asking Him. Wives, same thing with your husband. <laughs> asking something like, hey, do you want to go do this? Like, all of a sudden, there's this great motivation to get things done. You know, I'm just joking around. But you know what I'm saying? It's like God is about His glory, though. Amen? And we are created for His glory. And Jesus goes and gets people out of the dark. And He puts His Word in Him just as, as He does the Father's will. Now we do His will. 
and now we are all about his glory. And in that, we find that is what we were absolutely created to do. And we have fulfillment and meaning and gifting and purpose and calling and all those things in him. Apart from that, spin in our wheels. So there's life, is what I'm telling you. There's life in that abiding relationship with Jesus Christ. Jesus said to those Jews who believed, back there, John 8, 37, that his word had no place in their hearts. Yes, they believed him superficially, but it would not endure. They might have even been the descendants of Abraham, but they were not, they were nothing like him, right? Nothing like Abraham. They had a different spiritual lineage. They had a different spiritual lineage. Verse 38, let's read a chunk here. 38 through 40, he says, I speak of what I have seen with my father, and you do what you have heard from your father. Oh. And they answered him, Abraham is our father. And Jesus said to them, if you were Abraham's children, you would be doing the works Abraham did, but now you seek to kill me. A man who has told you the truth that I heard from God, this is not what Abraham did. You say you're children of Abraham. Notice, Jesus is saying in a way, if you were the true children of Abraham, you would receive me. That's what Abraham would do. He would receive me. Your hearts would be like the good soil. You would have a place for what I have to say. They thought they were righteous, not by trusting in God's word, but by their physical lineage to Abraham. We don't have this much problem anymore, I don't think, but a lot of people think that they're right with God because they were born in America back in the day. You know, hey, I'm an American, I'm a Christian, it's all good. We understand that's not true. It's actually not even valued, but these people did value that. Paul, interesting in Romans 9, he talks about the Jews. You see, the Jews thought because they, by the nature of being Jews, that they were, they were God's people. And Paul in Romans 9 makes it very clear that there's Israel, but then there's the true Israel within the Israel. There are disciples, but then there are the true disciples within the disciples. Not an elite group, but those who truly believe. And Paul explains in Romans 9, 7, he says that not all children of Abraham uh, not all are children of Abraham because they are his offspring, but through Isaac, your offspring uh, be named. In other words, Paul explains further in verse 8, this means that it is not the children of the flesh who are the children of God, but the children of the promise. So the Jews claimed to be G- like God's people because they were Jews. Sorry. It doesn't make a difference if Abraham was connected to you. What Abraham looked for was the, the promise, his child of promise, Isaac. Remember that story? Isaac was born to them when they were like 90 and 100, like way up there, an impossible child to have. And yet it was the child of promise. They tried it the other way, and they had got an Ishmael, which is the Arabs today, the cousins of the Jews, both loved by God, don't, no doubt about it. But Isaac was the promise, promised one. And so that's what Abraham ultimately trusted in. He didn't trust in circumcision or all this type of stuff. He ultimately trusted in God's promise, and it was a credit to him as righteousness because through Isaac came the Messiah. The seed of Abraham was standing before them. 
the descendant that would, through him all the nations would be blessed, Jesus Christ was standing there in front of them. And they were going back to Abraham and trusting in Abraham. And Jesus is saying, don't trust in Abraham. Abraham trusted in the promise. He trusted in me. I'm the one you need to trust in. They did not follow in the steps of Abraham. You are doing the works that your father did, verse 41. They said to him, we're not born of sexual morality. We have one father, even God. Now, this could be a dig at Jesus' lineage, by the way, because how many of you would believe that Jesus was born of a virgin? It's never happened before. And so there was obviously slander that went about about Mary and Jesus' lineage. But they could just be saying in the same breath that, that we have a legitimate father and, his, and our legitimate father is God. So first they claim Abraham's their father and Jesus says, listen, you don't even act like, you sh- your, your actions show differently. And then secondly, they say, hey, we have one father, God. And so they go beyond Abraham and they claim that God's their father. And Jesus says to him, verse 42, Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you would what? You would love me. What a powerful verse. Underline that. To anyone run into who claims to love God, who are they going to love? They're going to love Jesus. They're going to obey him and follow him. That is true love. Anybody who says they're spiritual, they deny the son, they deny the father. And here you go, Jesus says in verse 44, if you, if you loved God, I'm sorry, verse 42, if you love God, you would love me. For I came from God and here I am and I came not of my own accord, but he sent me. Why do you not understand what I say? It's because you cannot bear to hear my words. Why can't they bear to hear what Jesus is saying? Why do people not hear the gospel? Why are people clenching their teeth when Jesus is being spoken of and reject him? Verse 44, you are of your father, the devil, he's saying to this group of believers. Jesus doesn't hold back. Those are fighting words, aren't they? And your will is to do your father's desire. Your father isn't Abraham. It isn't God. It is the devil. Wow. And then he goes on to explain what their lineage is, what their spiritual heritage is. He was a murderer from the beginning. It does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. And so here Jesus tells the Jews in verse Uh, who in verse 30 are called believers, who claim Abraham as their father and God as their father. Jesus says to them, your father's the devil and your will is just like his. He is a murderer. He doesn't stand for the truth. Continuing in verse 44, when he he lies, he speaks out of his own character for he is a liar and the father of all lies. That's your daddy. You're murderers. You don't stand in the truth. There's no truth in you. You're liars. And this is because... My word does not find a place in your heart, so you don't abide. You're not free. You're slaves to sin. Man, that's hardcore. Listen, you, are, you have one of two spiritual fathers. Do you know that? You are either a, a, a descendant, a spiritual descendant of Satan. I'm not talking about anything physical. You are under his influence in his sway, or you are under the influence and sway of God. It is one or the other. And you're going, well, I'm not a devil worshiper. It's like, no, not directly, indirectly. You're part of his system, his world, you're blind to it. We're all born into it. You love the things he loves. You operate the way he operates, but you're, I'm better than this guy. Of course you are. You're all messed up. We're all messed up. 
We're all in darkness, amen? But what happens? Or you're a child of God. You're a child of the light. You've been born again. The word has set you free. It's very great contrast there. From God, I mean, from Satan to God. God who, he and his son, the spirit, who, who from him proceed truth, who proceed life, who proceed righteousness and May they find a place in our minds and hearts, huh? But it's interesting. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Notice the opposite of truth. Truth is so relative today, isn't it? Like the rest of the world, Pilate mocks truth. Remember Pilate? He's sitting there and he's challenged on the truth and Pilate cries out, what is truth? How many of you have heard that? Like, what is truth? What is truth? Everything is relative. Jesus has an answer for that. John 17, 17, he's praying for his father. He says, sanctify them, Father, in your truth. Notice truth is his. And he says, your word is truth. You want to know what God thinks about the world? You look at his word. That's what he thinks about things. His character is revealed. That's truth. You need truth because you're in a world of lies. And you will be swept away by them and you will, and you will take them wholeheartedly into your heart and in your mind unless you have the truth. Paul speaks of the power of truth in 2 Corinthians 10, starting in verse 3. Paul says, For though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. Paul says, even though we're walking in a body, we don't fight with guns. We don't fight with tanks. We don't nuke each other. We have spiritual weapons because we're in a spiritual war. He says, and they are powerful. They are divine. What are they divine for? They have the power to destroy strongholds, fortresses. And so Paul is using imagery that they would understand a Roman fortress. He's saying there's weapons that can tear down fortresses. What is our weapon? We talk about prayer and all these things. Yes, there are weapons. But what is it that we combat the world with? The truth, amen? The truth tears down strongholds. The lies that we believe about God, the lies that people believe about God and their sexuality and politics and whatever it is, we tell them the truth about the nature and the character of God. We tell them the truth and the power of that truth with the Holy Spirit given by a humble, broken person, doesn't mean you can't be excited about it, by the way. What happens? It sets them free. It tears down. It, it shoots a hole through their thinking. And God's Spirit comes in with His truth and begins to change. Paul continues on in verse 5 of 2 Corinthians 2 Corinthians 10, he says, we destroy arguments. He destroys arguments. How? 
and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God. And, he, and, and here's what happens in his own mind, in his own heart. And we take every thought captive to obey Christ. You see, it's not only offensive, it's defensive as well. The truth helps guard our hearts and minds of what is true in Christ Jesus. And if you don't have the truth running through your mind day and night in the veins, guess what? The lies are going to be there. And they're going to take root and you're going to reap them. Being ready to punish every disobedience when our disobedience is complete. The power of truth, God's truth, it destroys fortresses. That kingdom of darkness entombs people with in our thoughts. With those opinions raised against the knowledge of God. You see the truth of the word. It brings us from slavery to sonhood to daughterhood. The, the word is important, church. That is why we teach the Bible. That is why we have Bible studies. That is why you need to be filled with what God says, not for knowledge's sake, but because it points to Him. And what He says is life, amen? And when a believer is filled with the truth, when they have the knowledge of God's truth in love, you can stand against the wiles of the devil, church. You can stand against his attacks on you. You can withstand, and not only can you withstand, you can go attack. <laughs> and you can fight for your brothers and sisters and pray for them and seek them out. And when they're thinking something that's off, you can help them. And not only that, you can go reach out into the darkness of the world with truth, not a program with him. So, let's finish up. Unlike these, they said they believed they had no place in their hearts for his truth, his word. Verse 45, but because I tell you the truth, you do not believe me. Which of you convicts me of sin? If I tell the truth, why do you not believe me? Whoever is of God hears the words of God. The reason why you do not hear them is that you are not of God. Spiritually discerned. Can't hear what God says because you don't have the Spirit of God. Isaiah the prophet said it. It's also quoted in Matthew. You will indeed hear but never understand. You will indeed see but never perceive. For this people's hearts have grown dull. And with their ears they can barely hear. Talking about spiritually, with their eyes have been closed, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears, and understand with their heart, heart being the same word for mind, and turn. And I would what? Heal them. Verse 48. And the Jews answered them, Are we not right in saying that you are a Samaritan and have a demon? <laughs> Hard hearted. And so they go for the jugular. They do the two cultural insults the Jew can just drum up. The worst thing they could say to one another is, you're a Samaritan, which is a half-breed Jew who set up their own false worship system. They were like the worst. And then obviously a worse insult, that you are operating under the power of the demonic force. You have a demon. In verse 49, Jesus answers, I don't have a demon, but I honor my father and you dishonor me. Verse 50, yet I do not seek my own glory. There is one who seeks it and he is the judge. In other words, they were dishonoring Jesus, and Jesus reminds them that they insult the Son, they insult the Father, and He is the judge. He's the judge of Jesus. Jesus isn't listening to them. 
But also, very importantly, he is their judge. And even in the midst of the insults, look how Jesus responds to them. Even in the midst of their insults, what does he do in verse 51? What does he say? And truly, truly, I tell you that if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. He is relentless in giving the gospel to his enemy. Even when they insult him, he turns around and says, if any of you guys, any of you out there, if any of you keep my word, you will not taste death. He keeps pressing in with the gospel. What love. Isn't that amazing? Lord, give me that love. Verse 52, and the Jews said to him, now we know that you have a demon. Abraham died, as did the prophets. Yet you say, if anyone keeps my word, he will never taste death. Are you greater than our father Abraham who died and the prophets who died? Who do you make yourself out to be? All the heroes of their faith are dead as a doornail in their book. Right? They're going, and you think you're greater than him? You're saying that if you keep my words, you won't die? Who are you? Who do you think you are? Jesus answered, verse 54, I glorify myself. If I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. It is my Father who glorifies me, of whom you say he is your God. But you have not known him, and I know him. And if I were to say that I don't know him, I would be a liar like you. But I do know him, and I keep his word. Who are you? I'm the Son of God, and I keep his word. Yikes. And your father Abraham, just to clarify on Abraham for a second, he goes like this. He he lets him know. Your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day, and he saw it and was glad. Wait a second. Jesus just jumped out of time, didn't he? And so the Jews said to him, you are not 50 years old yet, and you have seen Abraham? And Jesus says, verse 58, and Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. And so they picked up stones to throw at him, but Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. He answered their question, who do, you, who, do you, who do you make yourself out to be? Are you greater than these? Before Abraham was even in existence, I am. I am in the Greek is ego and me. And thanks to the Greek translation of the Hebrew Scriptures, the Old Testament, we know that what Jesus is saying here when he said, I am, Remember the story of the burning bush? Moses is talking to the angel of the Lord, who, by the way, is God in that scenario, used synonymously. Moses is going, hey, you're sending me to go deliver the the, the Hebrews from the Egyptians. Who do I tell them? What's your name? Like, how does that work? And what what does God say to Moses? Moses, you tell them, my name is I am that I am. And Jesus is speaking to this group, and he says, you want to know who I am? I am that guy. I'm the eternal God, the same one who spoke to Moses, and I'm standing right before you. And what did they do? The same thing their father wants to do. They picked up stones 
to kill him because they had no place in their heart for his word. They were not true disciples. Are you a true disciple? You're going, oh, well, I, I won't pick up rocks and throw them at Jesus. You know, I'm a nice guy. Is there a place in your heart for his word? What does that look like? And not just reading it. Listen, we're not saved by reading the word. We're saved by who it's about. Do you have time for the incarnate word in your life, Jesus Christ? Are you coming before the Father and say, Father, fill my life with your word. I need your truth in my heart. Transform me today because I've got attitudes. I've got things going on here that I know are of the darkness, Lord, and I'm your child, and I want to walk in the light today. And Father, there's big things ahead of me, and and I can make some great decisions in my own power, my own strength, but they're just going to be worldly wisdom. I want your wisdom. How would you deal with this? Even though it might cause me to be unliked by many, but I want to be liked by you. <laughs> I want to bring you glory. You know what I'm just saying? Just, I just love you, Lord, and, and have my heart today. Does this word have a place in your heart? And then you hear the one of another's of Jesus. If you love me, you'll obey my commands. This is Jesus speaking to his church, to you if you're a disciple. If you love me, this is in that John 8 section where he says, abide in me and I am the vine, you're the branches. If you love me, you'll obey my commands. And this is my command that you what? Love one another. Do you have time for his word? Do you have time for what he says about his word? Are you a true disciple? Oh, but I would have to deny myself and pick up my cross and follow you to do all that, God. That's right. Lord God, the I am that I am. Oh Lord, how guilty we are in our hearts of picking up stones and casting them at you when your will is imposed upon ours, Lord. Forgive us, Lord. May we have soft hearts. Lord, I love that you are the gardener which means that you can plow up some rocks, which means that you can scatter some birds, which means that you can pull out those vines and you can make our hearts soft. So, Lord Jesus, to simply trust and obey is what we want to do today. Have our hearts, have our weeks in this new year. Don't let it be without you. Don't let this year spin around without you being the center of our universe from whom all life flows. Teach us in our hearts. Fill our minds with the knowledge of God. And Lord, let that flow. Let that knowledge flow into love. Don't let it puff up, Lord. Let it, that love flow. And we pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.